You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. The uh, text for today is from 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Uh, Let me pray for us. Almighty God, we pray that you would humble sinners and exalt the Savior by the power and grace of your Holy Spirit. For the sake of Jesus Christ and his kingdom, amen. I have an admission to make that some of you may frown upon. Uh, I made a decision 18 months ago that I was no longer going to read the newspaper or watch cable news. Uh, I used to be an avid follower of politics and current events. I used to read five to ten articles a day on the Real Clear Politics app. I have erased that from my phone. Uh, and I no longer turn to cable news. It painted a picture in the world of chaos and disorder that was so depressing. Every day was violence and strife and accusations to a point uh, that it was overwhelming. Now, earlier this year at Lent Lunch, David Zoll came and he commented on the new way that people answer the question, how are you? Historically, people have answered that question with good or fine. Today, the most common response to that question is busy. We are just so busy. Uh, Sometimes it feels like we live our lives on a treadmill. A daily log for me can look like this. Wake up in the morning, respond to texts, make lunches, get kids out the door, drop off kids, make a phone call in the car, race to a meeting, do some work, respond to email, the oven is broken, call the repairman, get work done, respond to texts, do more work, buy that gift, pick up kids, check engine light is on, respond to email, run red lights, make a call, pick up kid, eat dinner, bathe kids, clean up, answer texts, wash dishes, and then when you sit down at 9.45, It feels like the first time you have taken a breath all day and you realize you've had to go to the bathroom for 14 hours. It feels as if sometimes that a tornado picks us up out of bed, spins us around all day, slams us on our bed at night until we put our head on the pillow. The fast pace of life oftentimes feels like chaos and disorder. In 1 Corinthians 14, we see a chaotic and disorderly picture painted of the worship environment at the church in Corinth. Seems that people were coming to worship to show off their spiritual gifts, to impress their peers, and with very little consideration of the edification of other people in the church. The worship environment better resembled a preschool playground or the McWayne Center on a rainy Saturday morning than it did a right one Anglican worship service that we experience today. Paul offers principles and perspective to try to help the Corinthians return to worship that is grounded in the gospel and focused on Jesus. So today we're going to see how performance-based, man-focused worship leads to chaos in worship and chaos in life. First Corinthians, we will look at the problem, the promise, and the projection of worship. And what we're going to find is that worship grounded in the gospel and focused on Jesus leads to peace in worship and peace in life. So first, the problem. 1 Corinthians 14, Paul addresses three different groups in the church of Corinth. Now, it's not surprising if you listen to the reading today that this is one of the single most controversial texts in the entire Bible. All three of these groups involve intense debates that are hotly contested even today. The nature of the gift of tongues, the nature of the office of the prophet, and the role of women in worship. Now, these debates are all secondary in nature, and they're all more worthy of a Sunday school class 
So what I want to focus on is the immediate situation in the church in Corinth. And this will start out a little academic, but stay with me. We'll get to your life, I promise. (laughs) The first group that Paul addresses is those with the gift of tongues. Now, if you're not familiar, coming from a charismatic perspective, the gift of tongues is when a person speaks in a spiritual language that is not naturally discernible to a human ear. So in private, a person may pray or praise the Lord in tongues. In a public service, a person may receive a message that they deliver in that spiritual language, and someone with the gift of interpretation interprets that gift for the edification of the body. Well, what had happened in Corinth is that people had elevated the gift of tongues as the end-all, be-all. It was the ultimate gift. And they believed that the gift of tongues meant that you were more mature or more righteous as a Christian, which is heretical. During the worship services in Corinth, it appears that multiple people were using their gift of tongues to try to impress their peers. And so you had multiple people who were praying or speaking in tongues uh, simultaneously. So in essence, it was a matter of trying to win people's approval. Paul writes in verse 27, If anyone speak in a tongue, let there be only two or three at most, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. So what Paul is saying is if you are going to speak in tongues in corporate worship, then someone needs to interpret that message for the edification of the body. If there is no one appointed to interpret, then you need to be quiet and you don't need to disrupt the service and stand in the way of other people worshiping and receiving the word of the Lord. Now, the second group that Paul addresses is those with the gift of prophecy. Now, in the, in the very earliest generation of the church, the gift of prophecy, there were prophets who would get up before the congregation and they would deliver a message from the Lord. Well, as the New Testament is written, uh, it appears that the gift of prophecy transitions into preaching and teaching. The way that a message from God was delivered was by preaching the Old and New Testament. In fact, Puritans referred to preachers as prophets, and they would often refer to preaching as prophesying. So in Corinth, multiple prophets were getting up to deliver numerous messages before the congregation. So Paul writes in verse 29, let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent, for you can all prophesy one by one. Based on Paul's comments, it appears that the prophets were competing with one another for airtime. Uh, They were trying to get their word in, and it even appears that they may have been interrupting each other and speaking over one another. I think you're probably starting to identify a trend going on here in, in these different groups. Now, the third group that Paul addresses are the women in the church. Paul writes in verse 34, if there is anything they desire to learn, let them, the women, ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Well, that sounds awfully chauvinistic and demeaning, right? Well, it's worth noting that it was actually very progressive and feministic that women were included in the worship services in the Christian church. Generally, women were excluded from religious practices and other faiths. But we don't think that what Paul is saying here is, ladies, when you're getting your coffee and cleaning them in commons, zip your lip. We don't think that's what Paul is saying. What we think was actually happening in this congregation was first, women were interrupting the sermon to ask questions and we're disrupting the service. And that's certainly okay to have questions, but that is more appropriately 
held for after the service or over coffee or over the phone. Uh, Secondly, it appears, too, that there were women who were not authorized or vetted as prophets in the church who were spontaneously coming forward to deliver messages. So in essence, it would be like after the sermon today, if someone here in the congregation decided that you wanted to preach, you just kind of waltzed up to the pulpit and started to preach. Paul is saying that that is not biblical. That is not in compliance with God's word. So with that being said, we can see uh, that there are two themes amongst these three groups that Paul is trying to address. The first is that worship in Corinth was performance-based. And secondly, worship in Corinth was man-focused. Worship in Corinth in many ways resembled an episode of American Idol or The Voice or America's Got Talent where people are performing for the audience. They were coming to impress people. They were coming to show off their gifts. And it even appears at times that they were competing with one another. So corporate worship had devolved into a circus. In the same light, the attention of the worship service was on people. Uh, members of this congregation were trying to draw attention to themselves, and in essence, they were drawing attention away from the Lord. Furthermore, in doing so, worship was becoming distracting and disruptive such that people were not considerate of other folks' need to be edified. And what was the fruit of performance-based, man-focused worship? Chaos and disorder. This is why Paul says in verse 44, but all things should be done decently and in order. So performance-based, man-focused worship is the problem. Secondly, we will talk about the promise. Now, why is it so deeply problematic that people are coming to the worship service to perform and to impress? Well, first, if they are coming to perform, then they are completely unaware of their own need. They were unaware of their need for God's grace. They were unaware of their need for fellowship with Jesus. They were unaware of their need for God's guidance through their words. In essence, people were coming to the worship service missing the essential point of Christianity. Paul writes in 1 Timothy 1, verse 15, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. At the most fundamental level, what it means to be a Christian is to be a struggling sinner who needs the grace and the mercy of Christ. To come to worship is to come with your need for God's grace and mercy. Jesus says, Come unto me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. To be a Christian is to be a person who casts your load upon the shoulders of God. To come to worship is to weakly cast your burden upon Christ. And the psalmist says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. To be a Christian is to recognize your daily need for the guidance of the Lord through his word. To come to worship is to seek God's guidance through the Holy Spirit and through the word of God. And when we have received God's grace, we respond with worship. Our attention is turned to Jesus, not to man. The Christian life can be summed up in this. Receive and respond. We receive God's grace and mercy and we respond with praise and thanks. We receive forgiveness for our sins. We respond with thanks to the Lord. We receive comfort in our sorrow. We respond with praise to the Lord. We receive hope and despair, and we respond with love for our Redeemer. Now, why is performance-paced, man-focused worship such an issue? 
quite frankly, because life is just too hard and God is just too worthy. Life is too hard for this to be a routine or for this to be fun and games. We all need God's help and God's comfort too desperately. And God is too worthy of honor and glory to be robbed of the adoration and the praise that he is due. So we've heard the problem and we've heard the promise of worship that is grounded in the gospel and focused on Christ. We'll finish with the projection. Now you may have noticed if you've been paying attention to this long series through 1 Corinthians that the worship environment in Corinth resembles the lifestyles of the Corinthians. The worship environment was chaos and disorder. The lifestyles of the Corinthians was chaos and disorder. There was outrageous sexual sin. There were factions. There were resentments between the rich and the poor. There were dysfunctional marriages. There were all kinds of social issues in the church. So there is a clear correlation between our heart, attitude, and worship and how we live. Dr. Lingen Duncan, the Chancellor of Reformed Theological Seminary, says that corporate worship is meant to be a concentrated version of our daily lives. What we do on Sunday translates into how we live the rest of our weeks. So on Sunday, we receive God's grace. We hear God's word. We pray and we praise and we do this together as a body. The rest of the week, we receive God's grace. We hear God's word. We pray and we praise and we do this all together. Receiving, on, receiving and responding on Sunday is meant to translate to receiving and responding the rest of the week. So much of the chaos and disorder that we experience in our own lives has to do with working so hard to please everyone. We are running around like chickens with our heads cut off, oftentimes trying to keep everybody happy. We have to keep our wife happy, our fiance happy, our parents happy, our friends happy, our neighbors happy, our boss happy, our coworkers happy. It gets exhausting and it gets miserable. Too often we are like the Corinthians in that we are living for the wrong audience. Do you sometimes feel like your life is trapped in a never-ending episode of American Idol or The Voice where you are on a stage and there is an audience before you and you are supposed to keep the audience happy. You're supposed to impress them, to win their performance. And there are judges who are evaluating everything that you do. Well, the good news is there is only one audience that actually matters, and that is the audience of God the Father. And if you are in Christ, then God the Father is permanently pleased with you, apart from your performance, because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul says in verse 33, God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. He is not a God of chaos. He is not a God of disorder. He is a God of peace and simplicity. Receive and respond. That is all you are called to, to receive God's grace and mercy and respond with thanks and praise. And when you live in this simple dynamic of receiving and responding, then your life will be centered on the God of peace and your heart will be filled with peace. Let us pray. Almighty God, we ask that you would glorify yourself in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.